Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, welcome back. Here we go. Episode number five of Believe in Horse Racing with me, Ken Rudolph. Thanks for hanging out with us here, courtesy of the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Of course, you can hear this anywhere that you get your podcast. Just be sure to rate and review. Give us a little love, and we'll keep this thing pushing. All right, this week is all about my money guy. Okay, I got one guy. I got a guy. I got a guy. And this guy has been coming through for me at the track now for 19 years. So it all started back in May uh, 2000. I was uh, getting set to go to Churchill Downs in 2001, May of 2001. Going to Churchill Downs and Man, I, it's the first time I saw this guy ride, and he was just crushing everything. And then I finally decided to place a wager. My second day there, after I watched this guy beat me three times, and I'm like, who is this guy? And they're like, oh, that dude? Oh, that dude. He's like the leading rider at Ellis Park. He's like the leading guy at Oaklawn Park. I'm like, okay. So that second day comes around, and I've got $50. And I, I bet it on a particular horse. And the thing about that is, it was the first time I hit a big boy wager. And what I mean by big boy wager is, the money that came back was about $975 on this $50 wager, right? But here's the problem. So I'm working with TVG, and it's our last day before we head back to Los Angeles. So we're in Louisville, Kentucky, last day. And so this race that I play is toward the end of the card. Not quite the last, but toward the end of the card. So when I hit it, now I'm still on the set and I'm still working. And I'd never hit a big wager like this. So I'm still on the set and I'm working and I have to wait. So now it's time for us to leave the set. And when we leave the set, we go directly to the airport. Well, now we're in the parking lot. We're making plans to get into the cars to go to the airport. And I've got this winning ticket in my pocket. And I decide right then and there, I'm like, um, I am not leaving until I get my money. I have to go to the window and get my money. Everyone's like, no, dude, we can't wait for you to do that. We have to go right now. I'm like, I don't care what you want to do. Uh, I got 900 and some odd dollars in this track and I've never hit a big wager. I am not leaving. So after like a 15 minute standoff, our boss decides, okay, look, I have to stay here for two more days to wrap everything up. I will cash your ticket and I will bring the money back to you to Los Angeles. I was like, hey man, I know where you live. Don't be playing with my money. He said, I got you, all right. So cut to a week later, we get, uh, I'm home, my boss finally comes home, we finally get back to work. Gives me all my money, it's awesome. But everyone's still mad at me because I held them up in the parking lot because I wasn't leaving until I got my money. I'm like, the rest of you would do the exact same thing. All of you can go sit down and shut it up. I'm not leaving here without my money. But the thing about this guy, that was the first time this particular rider came through for me. Then he came through again, twice in the same year, in the weirdest way. So in March of 2019, my money guy came through with an outstanding ride at Oaklawn Park, and he was the single in a super affordable pick five that I put together, a $30 play. And because he put forth a great ride on a horse named Long Range Toddy, I also had a huge win wager on that horse. Well, that whole day brought back about $27,000. Like, man, that dude is unbelievable. And then he came right back and, in a weird way, did me a favor again on Kentucky Derby Day. 
2019. Now, I didn't bet this guy. I bet a horse named Country House. And so we all know the story when they turned for home and maximum security uh, interfered with horses and the jockey that lodged the objection changed everything. In fact, that guy set a record. He set two records where he made history two times in one race. My money guy became the oldest jockey in the history of the Kentucky Derby to ride at the age of 58, and he also became the first jockey to initiate a disqualification in the Kentucky Derby when he lodged the jockey's objection against maximum security for the interference in that turn for the Kentucky Derby. That meant that Country House was elevated up to the winner at 65 to 1. I had quite a bit of money on him, and I played the exacta as well. So today is all about paying tribute to my money guy. His name is Johnny Court. Mr. Johnny Court. Online, Johnny Court. My guy, this is my money guy. Man, so great to be able to talk to you as you are celebrating 40 years as a jockey. That I am. Yes, sir. How how old are you in in chronological years? I don't want to know, no biological years. How old are you in chronological years? Again, I'm rolling up on 60 this year in November. I'm 59. That's awesome. But the thing about that, I heard a lot about uh, biohacking. And someone like you, I, I, I listened to an interview recently where you talked about that. Is that something that you are really into and you think that that is something that you can credit your longevity to? Is that what's helping you sustain this? I do. Be, before I got into biohacking, Ken, I was even trying to time, make a timely exit out of the game. But Ramon Dominguez and Sharon Dominguez got me into body, uh, biohacking. And I had heard about it actually shortly after I left California. And I thought, here we go again, just another trend or something someone wants to get me into. But uh, over the course of the years, I got more involved in it. And I felt like not only got a, a, a renewed lease on life, but without a doubt, it's uh, contributed to the extension of my career because just the uh, the transition in my health, and all arenas, my cognitive function, my ability to compete, my reflexes, and recover, whether it's from injury or uh, just uh, working hard or a workout. So let me kind of explain this to the listeners here, this biohacking, you can look it up as well, but it's just about maximizing, getting the best out of your performance, and also people do it for longevity as well. And what you're doing is it, are you kind of analyzing your own personal DNA and, and your blood and the, and the way your body works and you kind of find hacks? Yeah, I don't break it down scientifically. I just went through it. And even though it's peer reviewed and it is on pubmed.gov, the technology is NRF2. And uh, there are some other ways to biohack that get pretty complicated, but uh, I don't get into those. I found out I just changed up basically my diet, my supplement order. And when I say my diet, it actually allowed me to eat better. Uh, I can play a little bit where normally I had to keep a restrict diet and uh, it just changed up my the molecular level of my body from the DNA. It started structuring 
my DNA regeneration from the origin of when I was young. And I started to, um, over a course of time, it takes a period of time before your DNA starts to change. It starts immediately working on you. However, you have to stay with the program before you start noticing the gradual effect. And uh, I was, like anyone else, is skeptical. And I noticed that I did feel a change, but certain family members noticed a change in me. Everything from basically my appearance. So I had a few family members, including one of my sons said, I can tell you're doing something different. You, there's something going on with you and you're going to tell me what it is. So he was demanding, wanting to know. So I sat down with him for 30, 40 minutes and went over the whole uh, presentation. And it was something he looked into and, and he, he come on aboard. There are so many things about you, John. You are, <laughs> you are the onion. Like you are an onion because I remember when you came to Southern California and then I found him like, wait a minute, where's he at? He's surfing. Wait a minute. Where's he at? He's on a motorbike. Wait a minute. Where is he at right now? On a three wheeler. Like you're into everything extreme. Are you an adrenaline junkie? Yeah. And I'm really trying to slow that down because, uh, even in the afternoon, I, uh, take the tendency to push the envelope and I do it in my recreation. So I've been hurt recreating and, uh, also racing. And I got hurt this last time with this first time Philly, first time starter. She was a nice Philly and I wouldn't turn her loose. Well, she ended up hurting me and kind of slapping me around, but she didn't get loose. And I swung back up on her. And as we got to the gate, I said, yeah, they're going to need a rider. I think I cracked the rib and I couldn't catch my breath. And it turned out I had, I got back up on that Philly and rode her all the way back to the gate. And then when I got to the hospital, they, they said that I have three fractured ribs and two cracked ones and a collapsed lung and a bruised diaphragm. Ooh, good Lord. And then they had to do some minor surgery and I uh, and then had to ride the course. But even my good friend, Terry Thompson, who saw it said, man, you should have just kicked loose. And I said, I, I just determined to muscle myself back on her. And you know, when you're muscling, when it comes to muscle, uh, you're gonna come out a bad second when you weigh 115 pounds and you're, you're wrestling something that's well into the thousand one of the things that i do with this show it's you know it's believe in horse racing and obviously i want to shine a, a beautiful positive light on the horsemen and the horses and everything but also the the gambling aspect of it we're actually celebrating an anniversary uh this month john you don't know this no you don't know this but i've been celebrating it ever since you see it goes all the way back to the very first time that i saw you and i heard your name so we go back to May of, sorry, yeah, we're going to go to May, May of 2001. Oh, wow. I come to Churchill Downs for the first time for TVG, and I'm still learning. I don't even know what a furlong is still. I'm still trying to figure out how racing works. But they take me to Churchill, and, and they want me to do the preps and the racing all the, leading up that week. And opening day, and this guy named John Court comes in, and he wins the first race on the card. Yeah, with, uh, Lee Lanu, and um, then you come back and you run second in the next race. Then you come back and you win again at about twenty-three to one. It was a horse named Johnny B. Bad. Oh boy! And I was like, "Who's this John Court guy?" And everyone's <laughs> like, "Oh, he's the guy from Oakland." And the next day, you had a horse named Flying Metro. Yep. He was the longest price on the board, and I had $50. And I was like, I'm petting everything I got on this Johnny Court guy. 
and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't know that uh, I was working a horse one morning and the trainer Jinx Fires, William H. Fires, was on. He had a thoroughbred that wasn't doing much and he decided to pony off of him. Well, he broke me off one morning, just something typical he, he, he does. And uh, I was sitting down near the fence. And next thing I know, somebody's working a horse up on the inside of me. And I'm like, who is coming up on the inside of me? As I, ro- as I was rolling by the half mile pole, I look over and it's Jinx. I'm flying Metro running off. <laughs> so after I went around there, he says, that's it. I'm going to enter it. And that's, that was uh, that race. And he won. Oh, my goodness. That was the workout before that race? Yeah, because that horse was the biggest price in the field. He was twenty-eight to one, and uh, it was just you were just riding lights out. And I, I remember there being a handicapping angle that I picked up from that. And I don't know if it still applies. The surface at Oakland was a little bit deeper. I don't know if it right. still is now, but it was deeper then. And so when you would come to Churchill, the horses had a had a fitness to them, and they would just they would get over it. Was that correct? That is correct. In fact, one of the big payoffs I had was. Uh, arch baby she came in off oakland she could just barely hit the the board and we come to churchill and she just galloped that day and i think she paid like 50 something dollars and that happens it's so surprising to me that it happens a lot with a rider like you you've earned more than 100 million dollars on track you've won more than 4100 races you've been the leading rider at colonies across the country yet so often when you come to post you're not the favorite well, I know everyone. I know everybody. They do put a lot of emphasis on the paper, and whether whether it be the works, the bloodlines, and the past performances. But uh, and jockeys handicap the same way. But the difference between the handicapper to cash the ticket and trying to pick the horses is us riders. We've got a couple other elements we include, just as any handicapper has his his elements. But I also include something with the riders, with every and each every rider. When I'm out there riding the race. I study the horses enough to know what target horses and what I expect out of certain horses to never underestimate, whether it be a closer or front runner, but also calculate each jockey on these specific horses, especially my target horses. So when I'm not only am I studying the horses, but I'm studying the jockeys and a case scenario was the rebel last year in 2019, which uh, it didn't unfold the way I had handicapped it, but it did unfold the way I had targeted my handicapping if this rider hooked up with this rider on these two horses and lo and behold not to drag this long story out like i have a tendency to do down the backside, i seen the two horses that were the pro, uh, primary favorites hook up and each rider wanting to engage and all i could think down the backside, oh they're getting away how sweet is this <laughs> and, uh, and i thought i might have pulled the trigger a little late but i was able to execute it just uh, the timing enough to get up and put a half a head uh, at the wire on the rebel on long range toddy yep you got up just in time to beat improbable who was uh one of the two bob baffert horses that he had shipped out there the favorites and uh yeah that that really made everything work out but i i love hearing the fact that because you know handicappers will debate that uh i remember when i first came to tvg all the handicappers were like the jockey doesn't really matter the horse is the most important if the horse is good it doesn't matter who's on the back of it and i'm like yes i i understand that but the human element, I think, impacts the outcome. Yep, that is true. Because in that case scenario, I'm running, I'm riding a race, and exactly on that mindset, I am watching the horses and with the expectation that they're going to run to the form. However, 
when I'm in the race, I study the jockey and the way they're sitting, the way their hands are moving. Um, it's just something I put together in my own little formula when I ride most every race that I possibly can. I try to apply the formula. The thing I love about the jockey colony from coast to coast, you guys are extremely, men and women, extremely competitive, but also very, very, very respectful of one another. And But is there like one rider out there where you're like, you guys have a, a really intense, friendly competition where you're like, in, when you hook up in the stretch and you beat that rider, you're like, yeah, I got you, I got you. Yeah, there's always that rivalry between groups of us and even some that, it might just arise during the race, but overall we do have a lot of respect for one another, but there's definitely that um, type of competition, rivalry competition. As you, as for example, there are certain riders that love the rail. And as much as you'd like to save ground, you're almost gonna defeat your strategy if you try to save ground every opportunity. Um, I've got, a, again, another, to me, a scientific type of theory behind that, which I won't divulge in, but there's going to be three or four rail riders in there. And you know, you've just got basically tactical speed. Well, you're going to find yourself probably bunched up behind one of the speed horses that you think you can overcome. And he's going to stop about that time. You'll be in the horseshoe or stuck behind horses is more to be understood. When you're stuck in the horseshoe of horses, there's nowhere to go except back and then come out and around. And you can win like that, but you definitely don't want to have to take uh, an exit out of a pack. You want to get through the pack. So you're looking for that horse to tire or that rider to be really riding early in the race that you know he's going to tire. You don't want to get stuck behind him. And sometimes uh, you get stuck behind a rider and, and you're thinking about the whole time, I've got to get around that guy, but I've, I'm pinned in. And that sometimes is an example of typically like, I've got to get to the inside because I'm going to save ground. Saving ground is excellent. Don't misunderstand me. But you can put yourself in a predicament. And I can name a few races, graded races that I won that I beat the favorite where I shouldn't. If you were to go back, you would see uh, that typical example. You know what I love about the analogy and the example that you gave is I could visualize that. Once you said in, in the horseshoe, where you have to come back out and around to get out of there. I could, I could immediately visualize not just the actual horseshoe, but how that looks on the track and how I get so mad at my rider when they do that. I'm like, don't go up there. Don't go up in there. Not, uh. Now you've got to stop and let a horse go by you or go around them and then come around the outside. I'm like, oh, you're not a super horse. He's not going to be able to do that. Um, I totally just got a visual of me losing races like that. Thanks, John. That was great. <laughs> actually i was thinking the same thing of other riders and a couple times that i actually drove in there under the pressure and influence of saving ground and following the strict instructions that i was giving that uh it cost me the race on more than numerous occasions where i got trapped down in there if anyone knows how to deal with the ups and downs of this game it is you you have dealt with that uh, better than most over the 40 years of uh, your riding career. And I, actually, I'm, I think maybe this delay that we're experiencing right now, which has pushed the Kentucky Derby back until September, I think uh, it may be a little bit of a uh, sort of a blessing in disguise for situations, especially in this industry with horses and with riders coming back from injury. So I think maybe it may give you some more time to find yourself a derby horse, get yourself back in the gate there. 
you're right on. In fact, when all this came about, I just smiled. And they're like, what do you think? I said, I think it gives me a chance to ride the derby. I'll break my record. Be the oldest rider I ever ride. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, man. Let's do it. Let's get this money. It's exciting. It kind of just puts a smile and a chuckle. And I think, well, there, that just gives me more time. I'm back in action. And there's always a chance. There's always a chance. Johnny Court, man, thank you so much. Appreciate your time, man. I look forward to, uh, hopefully I'll see you. I'm obviously, obviously, I'm with TVG, and I'm not going to be doing much on the road because I'm doing so much back here in Los Angeles, but I hope at some point I'll be able to see you again, man. Shake your hand. Thank you, Ken. Always a pleasure. Absolutely, brother. You know, I'm always betting you, no matter what happens, be safe out there. Good luck. Absolutely, and I hope I fill your pockets full of change, big dollar bills, big croakers. Line them up. Yo, here come the short shot. Yeah, that'll do it. I want to thank our guest John Court, our money guy. He set the record as the oldest jockey to ride in the Kentucky Derby in 2019. He's looking to do it again at the age of 59 now here in 2020. But before we get to that, it's time to get down with Longshot Lounge, and I'm going to be doing this myself because I'm all about paying tribute to my guy, John Cord, and I found some live mounts with Johnny coming up this weekend. It'll be Friday, May 29th, and Saturday, May 30th at Churchill Downs. We go to Friday. We go to the end of the card. It's a sneaky one. It is race number nine on the card, Friday at Churchill Downs. Seven furlongs is your distance. $20,000 claimer, non-winners of two lifetime. That non-winners of two lifetime condition, that's where things get interesting. Because in this race, Johnny has a horse by the name of Bebop Shoes for his man, Jinx Fires. When those two get together, good things happen. So this contender is a horse that had been running against similar competition. But the thing I like about this is that Johnny puts this horse in a good spot. They've been together in the past. Now, the horse only has one victory in 16 starts. But Johnny's ridden the horse quite a bit, and they'll sit off the pace. And now they're making the second start off the layoff and going the seven furlongs. I really believe that there is some speed in this race to set things up beautifully for Johnny. And the great thing about what Johnny does with horses that are coming from Oaklawn Park over to Churchill, you heard him talk about that in the interview, about how the horses that come from Oaklawn to Churchill have a, a fitness edge. And so what Johnny will do with those horses that have that fitness edge, he'll put them a little bit closer to the pace. He won't take them back as far. He'll stay up close so that you can make that punch, that move on that final turn at Churchill, and that's really, really valuable. I think Johnny Court on Bebop Shoes, race number nine. Churchill Downs on Friday, morning line 12 to 1. That's your get-out race. If you haven't made anything happen in the previous eight races on Friday, that get-out race is race number nine on the card. And then... On Saturday, we get a little bit more adventurous. They're going to have a late pick five and a late pick four, and everyone's going to be all excited about that at Churchill. It's a good card of racing. Coming up in that late pick four and pick five. So it'll be the second leg of the pick five, first leg of the late pick four. It is a bit of a stretch, but it's a stretch that I believe if the horse gets in, Johnny's going to make some noise. And it might be a win, place, and show situation. Horses all the way to the outside. Name of the horse, all about Will. This is the son of Will Take Charge, taking the blinkers off today after having them on for the last three starts. And this is trained by Dallas Stewart. John Cord is going to ride. Second off of the layoff. So running last time out at Oaklawn Park on April 25th, and that was a maiden special weight event. Now back in here in the mix against maiden special weight, going around the ground. Second off the layoff, made some 
progress last time out. Martin Garcia was riding. I just think John Court will be able to get more of a punch down the lane for this horse who's going to be closing at a mile and a 16th in a maiden event. That's race eight. Churchill, Saturday, John Court. But really, 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 Friday, race number nine. Money, 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 John Court. Bebop Shoes. All right, everybody. Thank you again for hanging out with us here on Believe in Horse Racing with me, Ken Rudolph. Once again, this is all courtesy of the good kids at the Believe Podcast Network. You can get this podcast everywhere that you receive your podcast. Do us a favor. Go ahead and rate and review. We'll keep this thing moving. It's all about bringing this together. We've had a couple of guests from outside of the horse racing world, and now we have guests from inside the racing world. My whole thing is to bring it all together so people from the outside understand a little bit better exactly what this horse racing thing is all about. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Next time. <laughs> Let's get this money together. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.